Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. She currently lives right here in Los Angeles. We're so happy to have her here. Anna of California. Thank you so much, Noel, and thank you, Skylight Books, and thank you all of you, your big troopers, for coming out in this horrific weather. It's really not that bad, but thank you for coming out. Um, This is one of my all-time favorite bookstores. I've been coming to this bookstore for many years, way before I even moved to L.A., so it's such a joy to be able to read from my first book right here at Skylight. Um, For those of you that are unfamiliar, Anna of California, Anna, like fauna, um, is actually inspired by Anne of Green Gables, which is the classic Lucy Maud Montgomery novel um, that tells the tale of an 11-year-old orphan named Anne Shirley who um, goes to live with two farmers, a brother and sister, in Prince, uh, Prince Edward Island is actually where the book takes place. It was one of my all-time favorite books growing up, and when I reread it when I moved here to L.A., I couldn't believe that no one had modernized it before. So I thought about who the Anne Shirley, who is a completely crazy beloved character. People from Japan make pilgrimages to Prince Edward Island every year to get married at the exact location where the story was set. It's a pretty big deal. But I thought about who the Anne Shirley would be of today. And since she ages from 11 to 16, I thought it might be really interesting for this girl to actually be 16 um, and from right here in Los Angeles. I had just moved here from New York City um, and was kind of blown away by the crazy urban metropolis juxtaposed with these mountains and this beautiful landscape and was thinking about where Anne would be from or where Anna would be from and I visited Boyle Heights many times to have tacos and just to walk around because it reminded me a lot of my hometown of El Paso, Texas and I knew instantaneously that this is where this character was from and that's kind of where Anna came from. I wrote two chapters. I gave it to an editor at Penguin, and they said they wanted to publish my novel. So it's been kind of a long, amazing road, and certainly a bit of a daunting task, writing in the shadow of L.M. Montgomery. Um, So I hope for fans of the original, I did it justice. Um, So the story of Anna. She's a 15-year-old orphan, going on 16, She's from Boyle Heights, and she's out of chances. She's been languishing in foster care for a really long time, and she can't do anything to move on in her life unless she is emancipated. And the way to do that is actually to take a job. So she agrees to be a farm intern um, at a farm in Northern California on the Lost Coast, and she goes to live with brother and sister Abby and Emmett Garber, who run one of the last organic farms in the region. So where I'm going to start from is where Anna first arrives into Hadley, which is a fictional town. And she's expecting Abigail Garber, and Emmett Garber is actually there, and he's expecting a boy. Emmett looked over at the lone figure sitting near the door. It was most definitely a girl, somewhat diminutive, though hard to tell under the oversized army jacket she was hiding underneath. He continued staring, hoping his eyes were playing tricks. She caught him looking and sat up straighter. 
That's her, the guard said, pointing in Anna's direction. Has to be. Seems like trouble if you ask me. Surely this couldn't be my ride, Anna thought. Mrs. Sacedo said to expect a single woman named Abigail Garber, who'd most likely be thrilled to see her, and not this puzzled-looking man. Anna grabbed her backpack and clutched it to her chest. Cortez, the lumberjack said as he ambled over. Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm Anna Cortez. Where'd you fly in from? L.A., the Los Angeles International Airport, she corrected herself. Are you Abigail Garber? Do I look like Abigail Garber? Well, I wouldn't want to presume. People have all kinds of crazy names these days. Not that it's a crazy name. You're waiting for Abigail Garber, correct? I am, sir. Anna held her bag tighter. Emmett nodded his head and clenched his teeth, unable to hide his frustration. Do you have some sort of paperwork or verification? He asked. I don't have a driver's license, if that's what you're asking, but I do have an ID card. No, I mean papers, telling me your specifics. No offense, Anna said, but I was told by Mrs. Lupe Sacedo from Los Angeles County Child Support Services that I was to wait for an Abigail Garber to pick me up and not to leave with anyone else. I'm Emmett Garber, Abby's brother. Do you have paperwork or verification? This is ridiculous, Emmett said. If your name is Cortez and you're waiting for Abigail Garber to take you to Garber Farm, then I'm your ride. Anna remained still, her eyes focused and unblinking, making it difficult for Emmett to hold her gaze. He cleared his throat and pulled a well-worn leather wallet out of his back pocket. The uh, mustache is a beard now, he said, handing over his license. I can see that. It's distinguished, like a regal lumberjack. You think I look like a lumberjack? Honestly, I don't really have a frame of reference. May I? Emmett reached for Anna's backpack, but she held it close. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to hold on to it. Call me Emmett, not sir he said, taking back his license and walking toward the doors. Let's go. Anna had no choice but to follow. They sat in silence as the old Chevy choked its way down the highway. Emmett gripped the wheel and chewed his cheeks. Anna stared out the window. She didn't have the same queasy feeling she'd felt in the past when situations became sticky, but she knew better than to drop her guard. She kept one eye on the towering trees, the other on the driver's reflection in the window. It wasn't as if she didn't know self-defense, with or without the army knife they confiscated back at the airport in L.A., but she liked reminding herself to remain alert, as if some familiar person was sitting next to her, whispering it into her ear. Emmett shot his hand toward the stereo, then hesitated and placed it back on the wheel. Anna edged closer to the door and slid the hand, covertly hiding underneath the backpack on her lap, nearer to the latch. The truck was feeling crowded, mentally at least. Emmett had already made up his mind back at the airport, but felt it important to reiterate to his brain that the Cortez girl would not be staying. He went over the conversation he'd undoubtedly have with Abby later. She would be the one to break the news, seeing as how she was the one who got this all wrong in the first place. Until then, he thought it best to keep the journey back to Hadley breezy, yet conversationally minimal. Music, Emmett announced, switching the stereo on, thinking that at least with Neil Young, there'd be a third person in the truck. Tall trees darkened the highway as they wound through the state park. Anna marveled at the roadside restaurants barely glowing with lamplight and the gas station selling dream catchers and giant chainsaw-carved bears. She inhaled the cool mountain air trickling in through the crack in the window, letting it cool her nerves. Dark velvet, she said. Excuse me? It looks and smells like dark velvet out there. Kind of smooth and earthy, yet soft, with a hint of something undetectable, undetectable that'll suffocate you if you inhale it too much. I have a strong nose. Looks like it, 
does it? You're not the first person to point that out, but I appreciate your honesty and interest in facial aesthetics. My abuela said my nose is a mark of strength, like Maria Felix's, and then I'll grow into it one day. I'm not offended or anything. I think some of the greatest faces are marked by a distinguished nose. I meant that it sounds like you have a strong sense of smell. Oh. Who's your abuela? My grandma. I see. She's dead. Sunlight zigzagged across the dashboard as the truck crept out of the density of the forest and coasted down the hill into a canyon dotted with pine trees. Holy, Anna exhaled. This view is insane. Yep. Everything is concrete where I come from. Strip malls, buildings, metal fences, that kind of thing. But this, this is unreal. Magnificent even. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you're used to it in a way that makes it harder to see its beauty. Like if you stared out at the same building every day and never noticed the new plant in the window across the street. We become blind to what waves right in front of us sometimes. I'm not suggesting you're blind or anything. It's more that you're trying to fill the air. Am I talking too much? I'll shut up. It's just, I've never seen anything like this before. The truck rattled as the road began to snake in and around the oncoming hills. Emmett turned the music up. It's kind of funny you put this on, Anna continued, raising her voice over the volume. I mean, it's totally apt. What is, Emmett said, turning it back down again, but only slightly. He says he's been to Hollywood and Redwood. Then he says I crossed the ocean for a heart of gold. I didn't cross the ocean, but I did see it for the first time from an airplane. I've been to Hollywood Boulevard a bunch of times, and now I'm here, in the Redwoods. Neil's kind of nailing it right now. (laughs) You know Neil Young? Not personally or anything, but I met this guy in the library who I'm pretty sure lived there during the day. He was always camped out at one of those music stations and suggested I check out Neil, so I did, and started to get into the lyrics. We would talk about bands sometimes, Ronnie, I mean the guy in the library, or sometimes he'd talk about crazy stuff like Vietnam and i just listen. This guy had a ton of sensational stories, volumes. Anyway, Harvest is way better than After the Gold Rush, which we both found to be a little whiny. After the Gold Rush is a masterpiece. Wow, he's listening. (laughs) But it's like Neil's struggling to find air when he's singing, right? Like he's trying to find his voice or something. And there are way too many other voices throwing themselves around. Also, not enough harmonicas. But if we're singling out songs, Birds is kind of beautiful if you deafen yourself to the lyrics, which seem kind of maudlin, even for Neil. Emmett snorted or laughed. It was hard to tell. You went to the library to listen to Neil Young? I went there because it's quiet, but also for the free music and books. I mean, it's a library. That's what you do there. I don't go to libraries. Well, you're missing out. Not really much of a reader or a music critic. Emmett turned the music back up as the truck rattled along. They descended into a valley lined with dry creek beds and withered ferns. It reminded Anna of the empty river in L.A., all cracked in concrete with a few weeds that refused to stop growing. Look, I know you're going to send me back, she said. Emmett remained mum. It doesn't take a genius of perception to read the signs, so don't feel weird. You can just turn around and take me back to the airport, or I can hitch it back to L.A. You're not the first person to send me back almost immediately. Probably won't be the last, so no hard feelings. I'm used to it. Emmett inhaled audibly. Honestly, I don't really want to work on a farm anyway, she continued. I said yes to this whole thing only because I didn't want to go back into the system or get shuttled off to another group home, which, trust me, is like a step up from prison, or what I imagine prison is like. Not that I've ever been. But who knows? It's probably my destiny. I'm fully aware that my mouth gets me into trouble, too, and you're completely right about me filling the air. It's a nervous habit. But... 
and did try to make conversation about music, which you clearly have some sort of interest in, judging by all the CD cases on the floor. It's kind of cool that you still listen to them and that you have credence, because have you ever seen The Rain? It's one of the most profoundly depressing songs of all time, especially if you're a dude living or not living alone in a library in East L.A. But that's just me. I'm not a music critic either. Emmett remained silent. Neil sang something about dominoes. I don't know what you're expecting, but Abby, your sister, sounded nice from what Mrs. Sacedo told me, and I saw a photo of your farm, which seems truly spectacular. What I'm saying is I'm try- I-, I appreciate you flying me all the way up here, and I totally get it. The ride through all of this was worth it, even for the day, just to see trees that look taller than the buildings in downtown L.A. But, like I said, I can find my own way back. It's too late to take you back. At least today it is, Emmett said. I understand. You're only here for a month anyway, he said out loud, wondering why he said it, because he'd already decided that Anna wouldn't be staying. I was told it was was supposed to be for much longer, but as usual, it's not my place to decide. Why don't you put on some music, Emmett said, wanting to change the subject. Pick something. Anna eased her her backpack onto the floor and fished through the CDs swimming at her feet. You've got a lot of Fleetwood Mac, she said. "Uh, Those aren't mine. You can play anything you want except for those, Emmett said, rolling down his window, airing out the front seat with early evening breeze. Anna took a CD out of its case and popped it into the player. She turned the volume up, like Emmett seemed to like it, and resumed her dual-eyed stare out the window. I see the bad moon arising, the stereo sing. I see trouble on the way. And that's it. Thanks. Um, Right before I take some questions, I just wanted to say um, this book was a crazy journey for me to write. And being a new transplant here to Los Angeles, I did a lot of research just by living here. Um, But where I wanted Anna to end up was a mystery. So I took a road trip with my husband and my sister-in-law, and we went from L.A. all the way up to San Francisco, and then we went six hours beyond San Francisco up to an area called the Lost Coast. And it's this beautifully desolate beach area, farmland area, redwood area. It has everything. But you can't actually get to it unless you get off the highway and drive all the way to the edge of the earth. And I was just blown away by this part of the world, particularly a little town called Ferndale, which is dotted with these fantastic Victorian mansions, which are in pristine condition. And everywhere I went, people were so friendly and welcoming. And the restaurants we went to had produce and everything they made was from farms just right around in that area and I just fell in love with this part of the world so I knew instantaneously that if I was going to write this book that where Anna ended up would have to be a place like this so when people ask me and I've been asked this question a lot in the last couple of weeks what if my main inspiration was Anne Shirley or if it was Anne of Green Gables and I would say actually that my inspiration was California through and through so I hope that when and if you read this book um, you enjoy that part of it as much as I enjoyed researching and writing it. So, if anyone has any questions, yep. more than inhabitants of Ferndale, what type? Um, the question was, who are the inhabitants of Ferndale, California? I would say. A lot of them ran the shops right along Main Street. Um, there was a bookstore, a butcher, um, a saloon, a 
couple of restaurants and then these big Victorian mansion Airbnbs, like B&Bs. And I stayed in one of them called the Gingerbread Mansion, which was great. And there were antique dealers. Um, not a lot of tourists or a lot of travel. I mean, there weren't a lot of people coming in. And then the rest of them were dairy farmers. And completely surrounding this area were really big dairy farms. Some of them were corporate. Some of them were locally owned. Um, and beyond that, the one thing that Ferndale is known for is something called the Kinetic Sculpture Race. Does anyone know what that is? Because um, I, I, it's, it's actually in the book. Um, the Kinetic Sculpture Race is people on bikes and unicycles who build floats around their vehicle or their mode of transportation and then they just ride them in like a parade and they dress up like the characters like they have everything from this one group of people made a gigantic dragon out of a couple of bikes that actually blew fire out of its mouth it was amazing they're like giant ants and spiders and all kinds of crazy things so ferndale is actually where they start and stop the race every year no it's, I would say it's, it's definitely not a wealthy demographic. It's people who have lived there for generations um, and who kind of don't seem to leave the area that they live in. Um, I met two really wonderful elderly ladies who ran the antique shop that was also connected to a vintage clothing shop. And it looked like the clothes had been there since the 40s um, and was an incredible gem just sitting there with really no one else. Pardon? Oh, white? Um, you mean? No. I did not see a lot of diversity. But then again, I went into a, like a B&B, and I went into the saloon, and I went into the restaurant. But I would say that it was predominantly a white demographic. Um, I was below middle class and older much, much older people. We went out onto the beach, um, my husband and my sister-in-law and I, and there was no one there. I mean, for miles and miles and miles. And then we saw a couple of teenagers come up and they started a bonfire, and those are the only young people we saw. So um, it was really interesting. Really interesting. A little spooky. You'd see houses. There were lots of houses on the historical register, and there was this one. Um, I wish I had brought... I should have brought photographs and done like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> but um, there was this one house that was amazing and pristine and gorgeous and just set out in the back of the... I mean, we passed it on the road and there was nothing around it except for two palm trees that were the exact same height and had been pruned so that they looked identical. And it was bizarre. It was like a movie set. And you couldn't tell if people lived in these houses or if they were abandoned. But if you ever get a chance, it is worth... A stop. Any other questions? Yes. Go ahead, Lily. Okay. First of all, thank you for reading to us today. This is so You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, secondly, I love that what you read reference, of course, Neil Young and David Mathis and the, you know, that like spirit of California and yeah. music. So, how important was music, if at all, uh, to you when you were writing this? Extremely. And starting with Neil Young, um, since Anna Green Gables is set in Canada, Neil Young is my cheeky nod to Canada because he's Canadian, but he's kind of the voice of California, which I thought was really funny. So he's actually a main, he's a character in this book, and he likes, he rides around in the car with Emmett in his mind. So when I was writing the book, um, I was daunted almost every day at how huge of a, of a task I was undertaking. And sometimes my characters would have a hard time talking to each other, but I would be listening to music, predominantly music from California. And 
a lyric would say something so much better than a character could. So I would weave that in. And it was interesting writing this because I had so many song lyrics in this book that we had a really hard time getting the rights for most of them. And I was lucky because Penguin really loved the idea that music became this voice and this through line that all of these characters used to tell their and speak their emotions to each other that we were able to keep in every single lyric that we, we cut down each lyric but each artist represented is, is in the book from the beginning um, beyond that most of the people I chose are also California artists and the music that I listen to is um, girl bands from LA predominantly and I was listening to bands like LA Witch, Deep Valley this great girl band duo called Bleached um, and those bands really, really influenced this book. So the music that Anna listens to um, is girl punk, specifically from Los Angeles. And I wove in a lot of those bands into one band that I made up called The Hex. And they're kind of an amalgamation of all of my favorite female artists. So the character of Anna and her best friend in the book named Rai um, share a love of this music and this band. And that's kind of another through line musically throughout the book. Good question. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Evan, did you have a question? Yeah, about how long after you got here did you get the inspiration to I was actually working on a different book um, that was somewhat similar, though completely different. It was a YA book at the time. And um, through a friend of mine who actually is here, Pam, um, I had this pretty miraculous meeting um, with Penguin and they were looking to reimagine some of their classic books and when I came in to talk about this one um, I really didn't like their ideas <laughs> um, and I kind of went on this tangent because I thought about it for maybe an evening and I had already been thinking about this character and, and a young Mexican-American girl in Los Angeles and she just came to life and I was writing before I even had the meeting so when I went in and I spoke to them, I just couldn't stop talking. And I was really emphatic to the point where I was like, these people are never, ever going to trust me with anything because I can't stop talking. And it's not maybe what they're interested in. So they were really kind and said, you know what, we'll read your chapters. And miraculously, they really, really liked them. But for, to answer that question, it didn't really happen fully until I had that meeting. And then I just went nuts with it. And I didn't hear that it was going to be published for several months. They went completely quiet, but I kept writing. And I knew that if they didn't take it, that I couldn't stop with it, and that something would have to come out of it. So luckily, they called and said yes. Um, otherwise, this still would have happened, I think, in some way, shape, or form. Yes? So how do you feel about writing in California versus writing in uh, the question is, how do I feel about writing in California as opposed to writing in New York? This is a very good question. Um, I would say that I, I love it. When I lived in New York, I wrote um, just nonfiction for the most part in plays. And I moved to New York to work in the theater. And I worked for a theater company, had my own, and, and ended up writing plays and performing plays. Um, but writing fiction was something that I was doing in secret. I never had uh, the confidence. I was always thinking at some point in my much later years I would maybe publish a novel um, because I was so distracted and I was working so many jobs and it was really tough to come home at the end of a really long, crazy day in New York City and sit down and write um, fiction. Um, so my husband and I had already been wanting to move to Los Angeles and when we did, and we did so in order to kind of feed our creative endeavors a little bit more, um, 
it became very easy. And I was surprised that when this happened, it was just like opening the floodgates. Not just because somebody said, we believe in what you're writing, but also because it just came so easily here. The fact that you can wake up, and no matter what job you're doing, um, walk up a hill into the mountains and see seven coyotes pass your path is crazy to me in a city like this. And to me, it was really, really inspiring to wake up every day and have there be sunshine and um, not really have to worry about anything other than than doing this and working on this. Um, But New York, I feel like I'd like to go back there someday and write a different kind of book. Um, I would need a lot of money to do that. Um, But beyond that, um, it's interesting because right before I left, and this is totally cliche, so I apologize, um, I read many, many, many times Joan Didion's uh, Goodbye to All That, which is in the Slouching Towards Bethlehem anthology of essays. And I couldn't stop reading it because I identified so much with what she was saying about not knowing when New York began for her and when it ended. And I very much felt like that. And she talked about, and this was decades beforehand, she talked about how she just had lost hope in New York City, just circumstantially. And I thought, what a crazy modern and like thought to think that back then when New York seemed so much greater than it did right then in 2012. But that's exactly how I felt too. I'd lost a lot of hope of just being able to do a job every day and be able to live every day and build a life in New York City. It seemed impossible. LA seemed like possibility and hope. And that's exactly what we found when we moved here. Um, So to answer your question, it's been wonderful writing in Los Angeles and I hope to continue for many years. Any other questions? Thanks. Should we do one more? Any more? One, One last question? Anybody? Okay, we'll do two. Go ahead. Sally, go ahead. I can ask you later. Okay. <laughs> Alex. Can you just talk about the, the farming element of it? And- yeah. Um, well, I knew very little about I knew about farms and that I had visited them as a child. I grew up in Texas, in West Texas, and um, my ancestors on my mom's side of the family were worked on a farm in Scotland. So I had farming in my blood. Um But I didn't really know anything about it, uh, and I was particularly interested in the plight of the migrant worker. So driving around doing this road trip in California, I passed by many farms that were drought-stricken and undergoing really tough times, and I was really interested in migrant workers out there in the fields toiling um, in the heat. And I started to do a lot of research on them um, and was saddened to find how difficult their situation is. And they're typically immigrants coming over from Mexico, and um, they are a huge part of this book. And then farming-wise, I was going... This sounds also totally cliche, but I was going to farmer's markets here in L.A., particularly the Hollywood farmer's market, and talking to farmers all the time. When Anytime I bought something, I would talk to a farmer about... Why do you, you know, what are these two different varieties of avocados and why do you recommend this one over that one? And I ended up having these great conversations with people who took such pride in the produce that they um, grew that when I was thinking about a farm for this, um, the only way I could possibly write it was to actually work on a farm. So I did. I worked on an organic farm in Ojai, California. 
run by this amazing farmer who um, is also a writer. And he would force you to sit down after you picked all day um, to have a meal with him. And he would read you something that he had written while he was not being inspired in the fields. And I thought that was so fantastic. But beyond that, I was really inspired by the backbreaking work of pulling garlic out of the earth, stripping it, hanging it up to dry. That alone was difficult. Um, we picked everything from flowers to berries to garlic to vegetables to kale. Um, I'd never seen kale sprouting out of the ground. It did not look at all like I thought it was supposed to look. Um, and I even asked the guy, I was like, what is that? He was like, it's kale. I was like, oh. Um, and that's in the book too. But farming was, to me, was something that I couldn't write about unless I had experienced it. And there is nothing like eating something you've pulled from the earth. So I have a newfound appreciation for farmers and people that work the land. Um, I think it's an important job. And I think it's important that we support um, small farmers who, whose land is being taken over by gigantic corporate farms and people like Monsanto, who, I mean, are ravishing parts of this state. It's really sad. Um, and that's something that I wanted to address in this book is that it's really important we support our small town farmers. So tomorrow morning, everybody go to the farmer's market. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by. And we hope to see you soon.